0: Small children don't use words very well. You can say a lot of words to them and they can feel your heart behind the words, but they don't understand the words themselves. But everyone understands what a kiss on the cheek, what a, a pat on the head or a pat on the back, a hug, we all know what those things mean. And that does something for the subconscious going forward to really stabilize and secure their emotional psyche. <laughs>
1: Welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast. I'm your host, Jamar Hudson, and you're in the Fatherhood. As a new member of the hood, my goal is to use this podcast as a platform to talk about my journey as a new father. Part therapeutic, part informative, part educational. My goal is to talk about everything, from adjusting to getting no sleep, changing diapers, to just hoping I get everything right. This podcast will be a space to share with you the joys, challenges, and fears of being a first-time father. So Eric, again, welcome to the Fatherhood Podcast, man. Why don't you start off by telling the listeners a little bit about yourself?
0: Well, I'm Eric Brown. I'm from Mississippi originally, but I'm here in Arizona now. I have a wife and four beautiful boys, and we have one on the way that I am really having faith as a girl. So <laughs> that's the, the brief rundown.
1: Well, absolutely, man. Congratulations on that, and uh, best wishes to you and your wife on this this number five, which is which is uh, amazing, man. A large, beautiful family. So, just take take a little bit of a step further, Eric. Just tell Alicia more about your your family and your wife and kids.
0: Well, our family is uh, is a very nuclear family, so we we don't have very many uh, extended family relatives around. It's mostly just me, my wife and our kids on a day to day. So a lot of our time and energy goes into just keeping our, our home stable, but we're thankfully to a place where we're able to do that. Uh, like I said, I have four boys, my oldest is five. Uh, then my next is three, two. I have one that just turned one, two weeks ago. And like I said, I have another on the way. So we have a lot of small boys. That's a lot of energy. Our house is always loud, but it's always fun.
1: That, that sounds stressful, man. Um, <laughs> I, I just know how, how challenging it is for my wife and I with just one. So I can't imagine um, dealing with, with four at that age and plus another one um, coming along the way. So was it a plan all along? You, um, did you want a big family? Is that some guy, something you guys talked
0: about? So we did, but I never wanted kids at all, actually. wow. Um, my wife has always, her whole life, wanted five kids. So I think neither of us ever really nailed down what we were going to do and we, you know, life happened and we're here. (laughs) So uh, I think now we're only just now starting to really craft a plan and decide, Okay, hey, do we want five? Do we want any more? And starting to get real intentional about it. But for a while, we really just been grateful. And I think I think our story that led us to having kids kind of contributed to that. Because we struggled with fertility for hmm. a couple of years before we started having kids. So it's a real we see it as a real blessing to be able to bring this many lives into the world now.
1: That, that's amazing, man. So e- even with those 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 challenges you guys face, how did you go from you know a guy who never wanted kids to now you have a, a starting lineup?
0: <laughs> well, I think that's I think that's um, really it's because I really didn't know what fatherhood was about. And so Mm -hmm. from what I had seen fatherhood as or from the way I interpreted the experiences of the fathers around me growing up, I thought that that was something I wanted nothing to do with. But I think really who I actually am and, you know, I'm, I'm only 30. So the last 10 years has been a very big discovery process for me. Wow. And now that I'm really learning who I am, I know that that raising children and being that mentor or that pillar for people younger than me is something that is very very important to me so I really love it more than I ever knew well
1: let's I kind of stay there Eric you kind of brought something up I want to touch on a little bit you know speaking about fatherhood examples and how the, that influenced your role now as you are a father of four and about to be five talk a little bit about that who influenced you and what was the the fatherhood um, impact whoever had on you growing up?
0: Well, of course, my biggest fatherhood impact was from my own father, James Mm -hmm. Brown. And he he was a very I call him a hero because his father did not raise him and his brothers. Um, And he had a situation where his father lived in the same city as him. And again, I'm from Mississippi, so there are no big cities. And his father lived in the same city, but uh, really didn't strive to make contact, even when contact was made or when eyesight was made they never really talked or dealt with each other. So that was tough for him growing up. And he he told me that that motivated him to always stay present in our lives. And he did a great job of that. And he still does to this day. So that was my biggest motivator. But I think I was very lucky to come from um, a village, if you will, of men who committed to their families. I, I had a lot of, my friends were not fatherless children for the most part. And that's something I count, again, as a big blessing, because I see that God has been preparing me for this for a long time, even before I plan to be in this position.
1: That, that's, that's great, man. So what are some things that you took um, from your own father and these men that you, know, you, you speak of back in Mississippi in your community? What did you take from them? A few things. And, and what have you applied from those experiences, what you learned uh, to now your role as a father today?
0: Um, The main thing is hard work. Uh, I've never I never had very many of the fathers of my friends or peers that did not work really hard. Um, So hard work was the main thing. And then, like I said, uh, just presence. And when I say presence, I don't mean um, like being like being part of a head Mm -hmm. count, but more so being really present in the lives and in the activities of your children and really trying to impart whatever your talents, your gifts or your knowledge is. To those children, so I had a lot of a lot of people, women and men actually, who I would call my second parents, you know, because they really did step up to play that type of a role in my life. And I think that's the biggest thing that I took from it was that there's no, not only is there no harm in it, but there's a lot to be gained from you for you personally if you are willing to step up in the life of a child. So they uh, they would really mentor me. And my peers and we all kind of had this really village type of um, type of environment as I was growing up that a lot of people speak of. But I don't know how many people are lucky enough to actually have the fact that they cooperated with each other. The fact that they uh, worked hard for their individual families, but also helped each other when they needed help and that they stayed connected to their God and to each other. Those are the main things I take from it, because I think it's the simple things that really uh, enhance your parenthood skills. It's not so much of the things that you get from the books or the blogs or, you know, and all that stuff is good. And I partake in it a lot, but it's the simple things of making sure to show up and to, when I'm with my kids, I am here with my kids. When I'm at work, I am staying focused on the fact that I'm not just here to advance my career or to, uh, put my name out there but I'm really working to build a legacy that they can pick up and take forward. And when you stay focused on my activity or my life being the foundation of their life, it is hard to get it's it's hard to get to a place where I feel like giving up. There are times when I, you know, I'm not feeling it. I don't like what's going on. I desperately want to change my situation, but there's very rarely a time when I actually feel like giving up.
1: Yeah, yeah, that, that's great, man. Um I'm I'm curious, Eric, how 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 long did it take you to get to that point where where you are now? I mean, you're still a young man. Is just just about to turn 30 or recently turned 30. How long did it take you to get to the point where you you know, obviously we as fathers, we never really figured out, but to a point where you're comfortable um in, in your role as father.
0: Well, that um I want to tell a short version of the story because it was a long, but like I said, my oldest is only five. So I've only been a father five years. Mm -hmm. The first two years of uh, being a parent, I really was honestly kind of running from it. It was scary. And like I said, I didn't I didn't have that village around me that my father had around him to support his efforts at fatherhood. Um, And those are to answer your question. Those are the things I had I've had to work to develop develop a community of fathers who I connect with, who can speak to speak into me. And also, you know, we all need a little chiding or a little correction sometimes. And building that community has been a big part of it. Um, The number one thing has been reconnecting to God. I think when I was most afraid to step up to parent, it was because I was thinking about how I had to do it all on my own. Um and once I once I understood that there was a God who had placed me in this situation, I hadn't made mistakes or or had kids too early or whatever people had put in my head or I had put in my own head, God had given me lives to shepherd. And if he thought I was good enough for it, then I was. And as I started to connect with God and ask and ask God to uh to lead me and guide me in my fatherhood efforts. He did just that. And I think he was there the whole time, but I wasn't really paying attention to that. So I say my connection to God and my connection to other fathers really brought me around and, and helped me to step up to the plate.
1: That's great, man. I'm curious. You know, a, a lot of fathers that I know, a lot of fathers who may be listening to this podcast um, are, are currently living in a city. That they may not have a big network of a, a, a big family or any family for that matter in the area. So how did you as someone coming from Mississippi ended up in Arizona, how did you cultivate a network of dads and what advice did you give to some other fathers who maybe transplants to their city? What What do they need to do to, to build a community and find other fathers, like-minded fathers that they can uh, help support each other?
0: Well, I think the key word is what you just said, like-minded. And for that it requires you to really take some time get to know yourself um be true to who you are and that might take you take you some time to really come to grips with who you actually are like i like you said i'm from mississippi and it doesn't most people know that mississippi is a very uh church and religion laden mm-hmm. culture and so for a while i think i was running from that i was trying to be something else to branch out to see what else life had to offer. And that's perfectly fine. But I I have still spent two thirds of my short life in that place, learning how to be that person. So uh, to answer your question, I leaned on church to build that community because church was always where I had that community. That's where my father had that community. That's where my village was built in church. But I would not to sound preachy. I would say that whatever a father listening comes from. Whatever you come from, whoever you actually are, if uh, your family is built around some other cultural pillar, make sure that you're true to that. And then just go back to that and re-engage that in the best way you can where you are, because that's where you'll find people who are actually like-minded with you. You can link up with people who have great ideas or uh, great customs, great ways of life that you can't really jive with. And you won't realize it until a lot of time and resources and energy has been wasted. I think if you're true to yourself, then you can reach out to people who are actually like you and who aren't just like the person that you think you are.
1: Was that difficult for you? I've been in Mississippi before. I know how that is. I've never been to Arizona. It was there a cultural uh, difference that you had to deal with,
0: big time. Um, because the the uh, church scene, if you will, is not nearly the same here as it is back home. Yeah, uh, you have a lot of larger churches. Uh, there are a lot of churches with uh, just just different cultures in the church because you know the Deep South and the Southwest are, are just two different types of cultures. So it was tough uh, for a couple of years. Once I finally decided to lean into that. It was it was tough still because I had to I had to test the waters in some different churches to really find um, find a group of people who believed in raising kids the way I believe that we all believe the same things as far as the religion went. But Mm -hmm. do we believe the same things about raising our kids? How do we feel about corporal punishment? How do we feel about uh, their nutrition? How do we feel about their education? And that's just a short list. So it's been, it was tough, but uh, I think the the key to that is perseverance. Just not allowing those obstacles to um, to delude you about who you actually are, knowing that you're in the right place. Maybe I have, or that you're on the right scene, and maybe I need to get in a different room in this same scene, but I don't have to, you know, run to something that's completely foreign to me. Let's stick to what I know and find the community, find the group that really can feed me.
1: So so what was hard for you, Eric? I mean, was there anything that you, you know, any type of approach that that you were presented when, during your time in Arizona and that made you look at yourself and say, maybe I should rethink this or maybe I've been doing this, you know, the, not the wrong way, but there, there's a different way I could be doing things?
0: Yeah, um, I ran into, this is just one example, but it's the one that stands out when you ask that. Uh, I I was in a church and I was around a group of men who were good people. They were good people. Mm-hmm. But they had a, a lazy approach to fatherhood. They worked hard in their careers, but when it came to fatherhood, it was really um, it was really kind of something that they allowed to happen. They were there for it, but they weren't so much, you know, that difference between being present and just being part of a headcount, like I said. Um, so that that brought up, you know, for a long time, I really was just like pointing the finger like, what's wrong with these guys or trying to motivate them or, you know, whatever. But then I had to be real with myself and and say that that's where I was at that time. Mm. And that's who I was being at that time. And that's why my community had started to mirror who I actually was. And so it was a wake up call for me that I can be around these type of people, raise this type of a family, and it won't necessarily, you know, the world won't come to an end, but is that how I want this to end? And so I I started to, uh, we, we switched churches and I felt I felt a brand of uncomfortability that I knew was good because I was around men who didn't make me feel intimidated. But I felt like I needed to I need to go harder. I needed to step up a little more around these guys. I needed to do better, put um, put whatever vices I have to the side, put whatever um, whatever misconceptions or uh, hangups I have internally. I got to find a way to overcome those things if I want to be the type of father that these guys are. So I think um, I just had to really come to grips at that point with who I was being and who I said I wanted to be. And, you know, that's something that never ends. I'm still doing that. But uh, that that was uh, the instance that comes up in my mind when you ask that question. I really had to check myself and ask myself why why community was displaying some of the traits that they were. Yeah.
1: And yeah. They were in me. Yeah. And I want to ask you Eric, also, um, as as a father of about to be five how would you say you have changed and evolved as a dad you know starting back to when your first one was born 5 years ago and now you're about to be a father of five how have you changed as a dad and maybe how have you evolved and changed personally
0: i have calmed down a ton <laughs> i think i think at the beginning i was i'm a i'm a perfectionist kind of by nature and yeah. Um, when I don't have a plan and when I can't um, control how things are going to go, I, I really had no clue how um, how vulnerable and how childish I can be when when I'm not in control of how things are going. Um, but my children being born, that brought that to life for me. Um, so in the beginning, I was very, very upset with myself. I was... Uh, just kind of irritated, like in this irritated kind of mood so often. And it was because I did not really know if I was being a good father. I did not really know if my kids were on track for greatness or if I was messing something up or missing something right now. And there was nothing, no fires were burning to show me that I, I was missing anything. It was just that worry that I think really all new parents deal with. And that's why it's so important to build community. I think ideally I I would have built the community I have before I had my first child or when we found out we were pregnant. Um, because I think it's so important that when you start parenthood, you need people who can, who can let you know, Hey, it's okay. They, they cried all night. I know that's, that's how it goes. Or, They they got a little sick and it ran through the house and you couldn't you couldn't heal everybody. I know I understand. That's how it goes. Um, But I was putting so much pressure on myself in the beginning. And now I think it's kind of cooled off to a place where I'm still trying to bring the same uh, intentionality to it, but leaving out the the worry and the anxiety.
1: That's interesting, man, because I, I think a lot of I know I can speak to this, I, but I think a lot of fathers, if you're really being honest, doubt is a lot is an emotion that we all experience. You want to make sure, you know, we're doing the right thing and we're concerned you know, about whether we are making the right the choices. So how did you deal with that that doubt that you spoke of early on as, as a father?
0: Um, well, I say I'll say two things or three things. First was, like I said, God, if I if I. I'm honest, that was the biggest thing. I really started to lean on God and have faith that, like I said, if he gave me these lives, he's giving them to me because he feels I can do this. And there's no one better to father these children than me. Um, so trusting God and really connecting with his word about me and my, about my family. Um, second is my wife. I cannot say enough about how much my wife has been an anchor. how much she has helped me mature, how much she has uh, tolerated from me, and and just how much she still speaks into me the things that I need to continue to grow as a father. Um, I think it's so important because in our uh, American culture, at the very least, men are expected to step up and lead, you know, and I think that's something that's fading and changing, and I'm loving that, but it hasn't changed so much that we don't feel that pressure, you know. When we start a family, we feel like we need to have answers. When we get married, we feel like we need to have uh, resources and have everything lined up, and you know that's ideal, but it's not realistic for every situation. Um, and it's important to understand that if you don't have it all together, you are still in process and you still have time. Every day is another chance to get it together, and that's one of the big thing that uh, my wife has helped me understand. So God, my wife. And then my kids themselves, they they are, are so loving and so forgiving that if I'm actually paying attention to how they feel about me, there's no way that I can think I'm doing a terrible job as a father because their eyes still light up when I walk into the room. They still can't be quiet for about 35 minutes whenever I get home. they They are the confirmation that I'm clearly not Um, Not crashing and burning here because they're too happy and bright and uh, stable for me to be completely failing.
1: That's, that's awesome, man. Uh, that's, that's a great, uh, great response. I'm talking to Eric Brown on the Fatherhood Podcast today. And Eric, when we first connected, I think back in November, December, um, one of the things we were talking about uh, in, our, in our exchanges on DMs was affection and, and showing affection, how that's important to do as a father. Um, so why is it important to you, uh, Eric, to, to be affectionate to, to your boys?
0: I think that's something I have to give credit to my own father for. Um, he was a very, and by affection, it's not just the physical affection, cause you know, he does come from that age where, you know, hugs and kisses and stuff is a little bit, uh, a little bit off putting, mm-hmm. but he's still very, uh, very affectionate, very warm. And uh, that's how he always was with our, with me and my sister and brother. So uh, I think that foundation, kind of just kind of spilled over. Like, I I really love physical affection. I I love to give hugs and give kisses and just make sure that you know and that you can feel how much I love you when I don't have words for it or when I'm uh, too tired to do that thing you want to do. But I can sit here, and if you want to sit here for a minute, we can cuddle on the couch, watch this movie or whatever. And I think it's important because um, part of the healing of Black men i think is going to be tied to how close we can come how close we can become with our fathers um Mm. there have been lots of strides it's like every generation just just breaks through the next barrier it's it's a beautiful thing to watch and i think the next barrier for us because you know i think the last generation it was it was big on being present like not not dipping on your family but now i think you know a lot of guys are committed to staying in the home but what are we doing in the home and and that's what i think my passion is is to try to uh try to give ideas to guys who are in that same place that i was at the beginning uh, of not knowing exactly what do i do that makes me a good father well well a very simple thing that you can do and that is very important in the beginning of their lives is physical affection because small children don't use words very well You can say a lot of words to them and they can feel your heart behind the words, but they don't understand the words themselves. But everyone understands what a kiss on the cheek, what a a pat on the head or a pat on the back, a hug. We all know what those things mean. And that does something for the subconscious going forward to really stabilize and secure their emotional psyche. So that's very important to me because I want I want to make sure that I lay the foundation so that later on in their lives, when I do have to speak into, their, uh, speak into their life and really speak to their activities, their choices that they're making, that no matter where those conversations might take us, I've laid the foundation of you knowing on a very primal cellular level, daddy loves you.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So you you mentioned, Eric, that this was something that you experienced growing up with your dad who showed affection to you. Did you know that you did you understand what you were receiving um, at the time or did it take you becoming a father yourself or becoming a grown man to understand the importance and why and what he was doing?
0: It didn't even happen when I was an adult. It happened after I really leaned into being a father. I Hmm. won't I won't even say it happened when I became a father. But when I really leaned into becoming a to being a father, that's when I started to understand that those those uh, afternoons rolling on the floor, playing wrestling with my dad or those times when I would watch my sister like hit him with all her might. And he's like letting her do that or, Mm -hmm. you know, all these things that I think I really had let go or let roll off over time. They became so so present in my mind and my psyche when I was doing that with my own kids. It became, it's like it all rushed back at once, and I started to understand what that had done for me. And I think I'm still, that's still unfolding for me.
1: Yeah, yeah. And with, with uh, physical affection, Eric, as you know, there there's certain stigmas and, you know, connotation that come with that, especially with black men and, and their boys. How do you deal with that, and, you know, does that even bother you?
0: Um. It did a lot at first. I think now it's getting to a place where um, it doesn't bother me as much. Partly because I've dealt with it, and partly because I put myself around people who don't see it as a problem. So I've mm-hmm. been around. Um, I've been around men who look at you weird, or who wonder about your sons, or you know, they they can you can tell that they have some hangups about that physical affection. Um, I think I think the best way to handle it is to really just. Just continue doing what you do. Like you're either going to influence them or they're going to influence you. You're going to pull them in this direction or they're going to pull you in that direction. And you just got to really know that what you're doing is right. And that's not always easy. And that's why community is so important. But now that I've uh, now that I've connected with other men who do show that same level of affection, even to boys who don't see it as weird, who actually compliment or commend me for doing it. And say that, I hey, I want to be like that. Like, man, I, I think that's great. Like, when I, when I get that confirmation, then the guys who don't really see it as a good thing, I I'm more solid in what I think. I'm more solid in how I act with my children. And I know that you're in a place where if you can ever come to where I am, you will be experiencing something better. I'm not going to step backward for you. Um, so I really do want to show me that that's that's nothing to fear and it like I said it's so important to the kids psyche and it's important for me too you know if I come home from a, a long day and I get hugs given back to me that helps me with dealing with my day with going into the next day I mean it's a it's a reciprocal effect so it's it's something that I hope any man who's wondering about it that you'll at least give it a try that you'll lean in and just Love, show all the love that you have to your children and watch it come back to you.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so I'm wondering, man, who is or have you ever had someone or one of your boys or or any any guy you've come in contact with who knows this is how you conduct yourself? Have have you ever had anyone question you? Like how did those conversations go?
0: Well, I I never had anyone directly question me. And I think that helps too. That helps me know that I'm right because I get funny looks I can, you know, you can tell when people have been discussing you, you know, when you weren't around, I've had that kind of feeling, but I've never had anyone like directly confront my physical affection. And I think when, when I'm able to slow down and think about things and not be so anxious, I can interpret that as a sign that there's absolutely nothing wrong with it because no one can find any, any way of actually challenging it. Um, so no, I, I've never had really that conversation of, like, why do you do this? Or why are you that way? But I, I can tell that I'm influencing certain people just from the conversations that I've had of the tone that I want to be like that, or I hope I can, I see what you're doing. And I like that, but I've never had anyone really challenge it. And,
1: and I guess another question I would have was, is, is that something that your wife was on board um, with immediately? Or does she have to see it to really understand that that's how you wanted to, to father?
0: Um, I think I think she she is supportive of it. Uh, we've never, that I can remember, had a real uh talk about it. But mm-hmm. I think with her background coming from uh, uh a home where her father was outside the home, that in any measure I take, any efforts I make in loving my children physically or otherwise, she is all for it. Um, uh, she like I said, she is really the the glue that has really held me in place for so long like she she really affirms and supports most of what i do and if it's not something that's right then she'll let me know but that's something that she's always supported
1: well that that's great man in addition to you know a physical affection eric you know another passion I've, i've come to learn about you is your your commitment to taking care of your mental health um talk to us a little bit about how you you know approach mental health and how do you make that a priority um while at the same time taking care of your responsibilities as a dad.
0: Um, well, I I'm getting a lot of experience in the um, in the field of mental health. I'm now working with the seriously mental ill. I'm uh, I'm just a case manager, so I do a lot of social work type things. But before I, this job, I worked in direct service with uh, mostly with patients of schizophrenia, and I learned a lot of stories. And one common thread that I found through those stories was that. And these were all men. Um, these men had, had been had been abandoned, but most of the time, deeply abused by their fathers. That was like the the common thread through all these different people from different backgrounds, different ages, different demographics. But that's the common thread. Um, so that has only strengthened my, the importance of mental health for me. Um, it's important to keep my own mental health in check because I know now that a lot of uh the the failures i made in the first couple of years of parenting parenting were because of my anxiety and depression that i had not really dealt with or confronted um since i have uh i have gone through counseling i have done group sessions i have done uh church counseling with pastors and i've done a lot of a lot of work just doing that internal work with my wife and by myself um and all of those things are important. It's important to get the professional help. It's important to do your work individually, um, and it's important because your mind is where all of your decisions come from. And parenthood is mostly a decision-making game. It's not mm-hmm. so much—it's uh, not so much uh, just anything else. It's really just about the decisions that you make on a daily basis. All of them are going to affect your children now or in the future. So if your mental health is not stable, then you start to make decisions that are going to adversely affect them now and in the future. And I've seen, I've now come to understand that so much of what I've dealt with throughout my life, especially my childhood, was not because people um, were just out to hurt me or that they didn't care how things affected me, but it was because they had they had mental issues that they had not dealt with. For instance, um, my mother, for a long time, our relationship was strained, especially in my teens. And I've come to understand that she was dealing with serious depression in those times that she, because of church culture and Mississippi Southern culture, kind of all meshed together. Mm-hmm. Mental seeking professional help for mental health is like, like what? No, yeah. you don't do that. Yeah. So um, there was so much help that so many people around me, not just my mother, that's just one example, but so many people around me needed. I, I Like I said, my father's situation with his father growing up. It's something that we've dug into now that I'm an adult and a father. I've I've dug into that with him. We've had uh, actually on my father's side, there are many cases of schizophrenia or other mental health issues that have deeply affected the family. So now that I'm in this field and I'm able to share information and kind of be that impetus for those conversations, I think. There's so much light being shed on all the pains that have been experienced in my family, whether it's me, my parents, and their families of origin, or even my children and their, their short lives with me. So many things that you kind of want to erase from the story. I, I can explain that now because that was not just me being neglectful or being a bad dad. That was me in a place where I was sick. If I had, this is an example I like to make a lot mental health is really no different than physical health um if you get the flu if you get sick with the flu or right now let's say coronavirus you're not gonna be the caliber of dad that you could be and it's not because you don't care it's not because uh, of that, that that doesn't matter to you but it's because your illness is really hampering your ability to step up to that plate and i think mental health is the same way that A lot of the things that a lot of the failures that people make in their personal lives, raising their kids, whatever it might be, are linked to the fact that they weren't well enough to do what they needed to do at the time. But also like physical health, mental health is something that everybody is going to deal with. Mm -hmm. There aren't very many people that I've ever met who have never been physically sick at all in any way. And I personally believe that there are just as few people who have never been mentally ill. Perhaps you came out of it faster because you had a better support system. Perhaps it had less of an effect because of your support system or because of the information that you uh, had access to. But regardless, we all go through it. And so it's something that it behooves all of us to take seriously. And I I just really want to influence dads to take their mental health seriously and do what it takes to stay healthy in that way so you can do the best for your children.
1: Eric, I'm curious that you you touched on fear a a little bit earlier and um, what Raising boys and four now possibly five boys, you never, you don't know yet. But what fears do you have as a father?
0: I think it's a fear that most parents deal with but I think it's Bigger when you have like same-sex children because Mm -hmm. they They mirror you so much um and I think that that fear is the fear that they're going to make the same mistakes I made. Um, I, you know, I I know now, like I said, from unpacking a lot of things, a lot of mistakes my parents made and things about their life that I didn't even know. From unpacking a lot of that stuff, I see that a lot of the mistakes that i made in my short life I have are not uh, brand new. They are things that they went through, too. And so seeing that, okay, I made this mistake, my dad made this mistake, his dad made this mistake, perhaps on different levels, but we all did it, man, what's, what's in store for my kids? And that's that's been a big fear that I, I can't even honestly say that one doesn't doesn't still bother me sometimes. But, uh, and I think I saw this from you on your page, that it's so important to to be careful about what they see because they're always watching mm-hmm. us. There's there are some things that we pass to them that they they're just going to get and they're going to have to deal with that the way all the people in their family have had to deal with that. Like those are things that I I deeply believe in. You, You pick up certain things from the family or the bloodline you come from. But how well you're able to fight those battles is really informed by how much of the battle you've seen in your parents or their parents or uncles, you know, whoever it might be. And I want to really I deal with that fear because I deal with that fear by really trying to be transparent and honest with my voice by saying sorry when I'm wrong or when I raise my voice or when I punish the wrong person or when I, you know, because a lot of times things happen that you don't see. And I feel the need to come in and be super dad and uh, be that hand of justice. But if you didn't necessarily see what happened, you might punish the wrong person. You got to be humble enough to say I, I did the wrong thing or Maybe that punishment was too harsh or the way I spoke to you was inappropriate, regardless of how wrong you might have been or just just really telling that truth. Daddy got too angry this time. Um, Daddy should have gotten up for you that time. You know, Daddy shouldn't have stayed asleep or whatever it might be. Just be really honest and transparent so that they can see, Okay, dad's a flawed human being. And at some point in your life, you're going to learn, too, little kid, that you're a flawed human being. And I will still be here to give you my notes, my uh, my battle plans on how I fought that battle so that you can go into battle equipped to win.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And speaking of that preparation that you're talking about, Eric, um, you have four boys, man. And again, I'm trying to wrap my head around that with with me just having one right now. But. Four, four boys, four young men uh, that are going to grow up in this world with everything that that that's going on and the challenges that they are going to face. How, how are you preparing yourself, one, to deal with that? And how do you envision that you're going to prepare them uh, for the realities of the world?
0: I have to give them what I use myself. And what I use to deal with the harsh realities of this world as a black man is the word of God. I really use the, the concepts that I get from scripture to bolster my decision making, to, to really uh, bolster my, my emotional psyche. I, I really use that to walk through this world with confidence, um, without the anxieties that are, I mean, like, how do you really avoid those anxieties if you're just looking factually at what's happening in the world? But if you can stay uh, stay grounded in a truth that is transcendent, then no matter what's happening in your world, I believe you're able to walk through it with confidence, without fear and with joy. Knowing that my life is going to turn out well, regardless of what's happening to people in my group, regardless of what's happening in my world or what's coming from my government or what's coming from uh, my community or whatever it might be. I'm grounded in this, and that's what's going to carry me through. And that's what's carried me through to this point. And so that's what I do. I really try to every single night. I try to I won't say every single night. That's not true. At least five nights a week. I make sure to not take more than two nights off. But every night we go through scriptures and I've we've gotten to the point where my boys, even at their young ages, have memorized verbatim about 20 scriptures. We have a good list. Um, And we say things I put it in kids versions, but we say things like I can do it because Jesus helps me. Hmm. And I just to just to give them that foundation of knowing that, yes, this is a tough world. Yes, there's a lot of things out there to get you, but it's not coming for you. You you are pegged. You are earmarked by God. Heaven brought you to this planet and it wasn't to watch you fail or to watch you suffer. And I'm really trying to put that into them and, and to be transparent about the times when I have fear or the times when I'm worried. And a lot of times they speak those same things back into me when I've had a bad day and I'm coming in and I'm, you know, my head is in my hands or whatever it might be, especially my oldest, he'll come up and just like rub my head or whatever, say, what's wrong, dad? And he'll be the one to quote those very same concepts back to me. So I, I just I really deal with that by giving them the only thing that has carried me through this tough world is scripture and my connection to the God who I believe did not bring me here to watch me fail.
1: That's great, man. That's great. Eric, um, a couple more questions. I will let you let you go um, balance uh, with being a father. I know know the challenges in um, responsibilities that you have on top of your your day to day responsibilities and your professional career, how do you find time? How do you and your wife find time to just you know check out and have some alone time? How do you balance that and make that a priority as well?
0: Um, so i I need to be honest and say that that is probably the area that i I am working the hardest to still improve. Mm-hmm. Um, it's still very tough to do that. Um, what the things, the measures that we've taken so far are, like I said, building that community has helped because we have outings that they may not be without the kids, but if we have an outing where all the kids are together and, you know, they're, they're seeing kids that they don't see all the time, they can play kind of by themselves and we get adult time with other adults. That's one thing. Um, Two is being more, more um, intentional about how we use time in the home. So uh, one thing that (laughs) <laughs> that even people in my circle kind of marvel at is the fact that we put our children to bed around seven 30, eight o'clock at the latest mm-hmm. every single day because she's trying to run a bit. My wife is trying to run a business. I'm trying to get a business off the ground and we need time for each other. So they have to go to bed, give us time to either just watch a couple of shows, watch the news together or, or, Like work on our businesses together, you know, bounce some ideas off each other Um, and just being intentional about how we use that that sleep time, their nap time in the middle of the day. If you're a father listening and you don't nap your kids, I strongly encourage you to give them naps. That's an hour for you. Yeah, (laughs) That is an hour for you. Like do that, especially while we're working from home. Institute the nap. Um, and also like really scheduling our kids activities, uh, my wife homeschools and she is stellar at it. I mean, she is outstanding. Um, and if you check my page, you will see lots of examples of her hard work homeschooling, but that has put them kind of on a schedule and we have time when we're all together as a family time when it's, it's free play, go to your room and play, or we're going to go outside and I'm going to let you play. And while you're dealing with things outside, me and mom can talk and just you know those are the small things that we're putting in but like i said that's an area that i i hope to grow in a lot this year
1: yeah yeah that's great man so what is the re- most rewarding part of being a father eric
0: for me it's seeing what my sons become like seeing seeing uh the efforts that i make in their life blossom into some personality trait or some uh habit that they have and I, I like it, you know, like there, there are a lot of fears that we talked about a minute ago, those fears of uh, like, how do you how do you keep them from all the harm that could come to them in this world? Um, how do you make sure that they are raised into a good person that you but when you see those good traits coming out, when you see, like I said, my oldest boy quoting scriptures back to me, or when I see them share with each other, and I didn't have to make them when I see them uh, resolve conflicts without my intervention, or when I see them teach other little children in their different circles, things that those children haven't been taught in their homes, those are the proudest moments when I know I am raising young men who are not just going to be good, upstanding citizens, and I want that, but who are going to have an impact on our community and our world. I'm bringing people into this world that's going to make it better. To me, there's nothing more rewarding than knowing when I'm gone, I've left not just things, not just businesses, not just um, these institutions here that are going to continue to affect people's lives. I've left people here who are going to continue to affect people's lives.
1: Yeah, great, man. I think, Eric, I think that's a great place to, to wrap up the conversation, man. I really appreciate you joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast. Before I let you go, man, just tell people how they can get in touch with you. Anything you want to promote, any business opportunities you want to let the people know about.
0: Um, well, the main thing I'm focused on now is just really using my journey in fatherhood to inform and inspire other fathers out there. So you can follow me on Instagram, father at father. Uh, I'm also on Facebook, Eric Brown. Just come check me out. And you can even email me, Eric Brown, 3-E-R-I-C-K-B-R-O-W-N, the number 3, at Gmail. I love to hear from people. I love to hear stories. I love to get questions because this dialogue is so important. And I'm so grateful to be a part of Black men stepping up to that plate of fatherhood. I'm grateful for it. And I hope that I can inspire you to join us.
1: Well, Eric, I definitely enjoyed our conversation, man. I really appreciate you joining me on the Fatherhood Podcast.
0: Thank you very
1: much. Have a good one. I want to thank my man Eric Brown for coming through with what was just an outstanding conversation. And as always, thank you for listening. You can find the Fatherhood Podcast on all major streaming platforms, including iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. On social media, check out the Fatherhood Podcast on Instagram. And be sure to like the Fatherhood Podcast page on Facebook. Until next time, I'm Jamar Hudson, and this is a
0: Fatherhood Podcast.